0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome back to the WOMED. This week, our episode will include a trigger warning for suicidal ideation and suicide. Jackie and I get to sit down with Lillian Hathaway. She is a not only phenomenal human being, but incredible person. PA
1: in the Los Angeles area. Lily is such a, uh, I, I can't, one word cannot describe what Lily encompasses. I'm just grateful that we got to sit down with her. We get into a lot of mental health, mental illness, working as a healthcare professional throughout the pandemic and talk about Lily's most recent project, my project stigma. It's a really, we all get a bit emotional and not emotional
0: in, you know, a bad way. I think we all had a lot of connection and breakthrough in it. So listen with a with a dear heart. And if you need to stop, stop. You need to come back to it. Come back to it. We're here for you. I love reading NDEs. It brings me joy. Hopefully not in a narcissistic way. I just really like sharing in our listeners' triumphs. And the validation of knowing that people are actually listening to us.
1: I mean, I totally agree. And this week we got the kindest DM. I'm going to exclude her name just in case her boss listens in, but the listener wrote in and said, hi, Danielle and Jackie. I just listened to your last episode about fertility with Whitney Bischoff. I just wanted to say thank you for putting out this kind of content. As a NICU bedside RN facing serious burnout, I've recently developed an interest in IVF and have been thinking about making a switch in my career. This episode was so inspiring and motivating and possibly the kick in the butt I needed to get serious about it. Thank you for all that you do. Providing accessible information like this is so valuable. I appreciate you both."
0: I feel this to my core, except that I retreated from the bedside entirely. But I am (laughs) such a firm believer in experiencing different pathways in nursing. All right. Jack does not know what's about to happen here. I told her I was just going to watch another episode of Greys to break up this Yellowstone binge I'm currently on, but I I watched the first episode of Nurse
1: Jackie. (gasps) You did! (laughs) <laughs> you sneaky, sneaky lady.
0: I did. Oh my gosh, you did. I did. What was watched-
1: it? Tell me, tell me everything.
0: Okay. I have I have all these things written down and this is just I'm just I'm just gonna read them off to you. This is making so, my day.
1: This is making my week. Oh I my gosh. Yay. All right.
0: I, I don't know if you remember the very first episode, but they've like stopped doing CPR on a like, I'm using air quotes here, organ donor.
1: That she oh, fudges. Yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, I remember. To this make episode. him an
0: organ donor. Yep. After she snorts a line of like, I don't know what. Some sort of narcotic. Some sort of <laughs> narcotic. So like my initial impression was that nurse Jackie is like, everything wrong with nursing eating their young. But then we see like we see her evolve so much just in the first episode and okay zoe you were right we have all been zoe and honestly like oh my god her dynamic is fascinating because yeah she actually does care like she cares about people and i loved her flushing that guy's ear down the toilet and stealing his money to give to (laughs) the other person that she made an organ donor but okay (laughs)
1: It's so classic. Real talk.
0: It's such a good show. I sure tr- I'm I just started watching the second episode. And I just don't know. I feel like this might hit a little too close to home. There are a lot of things that I'm triggered by, like from my past, and she's having an affair with a pharmacist who is risking their job and license to steal meds for her. So I don't I don't know. There's oh, it's so twisted. It's like very dark. It is a very dark, dark
1: show. But it's hilarious. It So, if you had to pick between the two, would you say you're more like Team Grays? Mm, I just think that you don't know, you shouldn't have to pick. Like there's a different time yeah, and place for both.
0: Yeah, they're completely different. They're completely different. But
1: do you at least respect that in Nurse Jackie? Like she's a nurse and she's badass and she's like actually doing a lot. Like she I think that they they I mean there's so many things that are not accurate, but overall, it's one of those shows where it's like I think it accurately-ish shows that like nurses are kind of running the show a little bit
0: yes yes you know what I mean it definitely holds nurses up in a better light of like you should actually be listening to me and like the the hospital dynamic and stuff is is more more uh, more realistic but I hate that I can see how it would give people an impersonation that like nurses steal drugs which you know some do but i don't know it's it's not the perfect show for me for showcasing what it's actually like to be a nurse so i don't don't know yeah yeah
1: we'll just we can just leave it at that that's yeah
0: yeah it was one episode one episode so okay but
1: i'm glad that you're on the train and we're gonna keep watching yes We have the lovely Lily today. We are all in person in Los Angeles. Um, Very grateful that you came out to join us today for this episode. It's
2: really good to be here because one of the best compliments I've ever been told is that, wait for it, I have a sexy podcaster voice. So I've literally been like, this is manifested. Oh my God. You do
0: have a sexy podcast (laughs) voice. Thank you. You do. You You have a great voice. Thank you. Oh yeah. I'm going to start to try to talk like you. (laughs) Okay. Mine's so high, I can't. It's like it's like if I try and say beg
2: correctly oh and I'm like
0: bug <laughs> <laughs> we all have our failings.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lily, we've had PAs on before, but I feel like it's an area like nursing where there's a lot of fluidity to it. And uh, it's what you make it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that's one of the best things about being a PA is it's kind of what you make it. I was in PA school when I realized that PAs didn't have to go into one one career path, um, that they had this beautiful thing called lateral mobility, which means that we can kind of switch between different specialties. And a lot of PAs either switch through different specialties until they find their thing or um, they work in different fields at the same time, which is what I'm kind of doing because I haven't found my thing yet. And that is such a benefit that doesn't exist in a lot of different medical fields. So, yeah, being a PA is is a gift.
1: I was just talking to a friend that's an MD-PhD student actually about this, and she's um, thinking about residencies. And I don't know why I it like didn't really occur to me how when you go to med school yeah. that you really have to pick like what the rest of your life is going to look like. Yeah. It's a lot of in, pressure in terms of residency, because like you can't like, I mean, you could there. I asked her. There's some few cases of yeah. med students or residents that will redo residencies to change their yes. path. Yes. But can you imagine like no. we are so lucky to be in nursing and, and PA yeah. route to be able to completely benefit. switch? Like, yeah, you could go from L&D to mental health to surgery to yeah. whatever.
2: Or, you know, do what I'm doing, which is like working in multiple different specialties right now. I didn't really know who I was when I was in PA school, much less what I wanted to do. So I can't really imagine having to make a choice about the rest of my life at that time. But I know that there are people out there who since six years old, they know that they want to be, you know, an OBGYN or, you know, they want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. I was just never one of those people. So I feel like that's one of the big draws for PA for me, and like one of the things that I always am telling my, you know, especially my female friends, I'm like, hey, this is something that gives you a lot of flexibility as you go through different stages and like different, different times your life. Maybe you're a young mom. Maybe you're, you know, a single woman who wants to travel. Maybe. You just have more, you have a lot of flexibility, a lot of like lateral mobility <laughs> uh, I love that, that happens uh, in PA. So it's definitely like one of the best things, in my opinion, that we can experience.
0: Something else I feel like is similar with, with nursing. You might start off and be so gung-ho pediatrics or L&D or... Yeah, med surge. Yeah, right. Sorry. Like that's Um, your life.
2: That's what you want. That's what you want to do.
0: And then you come to a crossroads where that's not as fulfilling anymore. Or and or you get
1: burnt out. You get really burnt Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And you have to find a new pathway. You have to find a new field.
1: Have there, Lily, have there been any paths that have like stood out to you along the way or like certain certain things over others or certain things that you've written off or I would say it's less about the thing that I'm doing and more about
2: the way I'm able to do it. Mm. So I just remember a couple different times in like different urgent care jobs or stuff like that, where I've had people come in, maybe like a woman like for back pain and like, she says, Oh, I have back pain and this is why I'm here. And And just my spidey senses go up. The thing that makes me who I am gets activated. And I'm like, she's not here for that. Like something else is going on. There's a reason why she's coming into the urgent care 30 minutes before close on a Friday night. What's going on? Why? What's what's happening here? And having to go on that journey, and then like finding out maybe she was suicidal. Like she was just checking to see if anyone would notice that maybe she didn't feel like herself, or she was planning to go home and kill herself. These these are real things that happen in urgent care, Mm -hmm. and like you just always have to have your spidey senses up. And like those are the moments, and I'm like, that's what I love. I love being able to help people in their moments when they really need it. When they need someone to not just like look at them as a series of symptoms, but as like a person and a human. And that's when I'm like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. But that can exist in very in different specialties. And like I, I don't need to be in a particular role in order to to reach people that way. But that's definitely the moment when I'm like, that's what I love.
0: Yeah. But oh, wow. I'm
2: interested in like exploring more though. I feel like like I'm I'm just I love making people feel good. So the feel good route of medicine is definitely something that I'm like more and more drawn to as I get older. I started out in emergency medicine and, like, that was not for me. (laughs) I I, uh, completed a fellowship in emergency medicine and it was uh, like a nightmarish experience where I literally saw people die, not my own patients, thankfully, but, and I was like, this is not for me. Like, I I don't want to, this is not what I want to come in to work, you know, and and experience. But I definitely am being drawn towards certain things, but I still haven't found what I want to do yet. And I'm just learning to, like, give myself grace kind of and, be okay with that when I'm still exploring and figuring it out. Cause I I think that's just something that, you know, I'm, I'm 28 and I'm, I'm such a different person than I was in PA school at 24 and who I was, you know, when I graduated right afterward, 25, you know, I am a different person I'm continually changing. So letting my career kind of evolve with me is something that is a huge benefit that PA gives a special, like It's like it feels like a gift with
0: the lateral mobility because you can just it's very flexible, which is amazing. I think allowing yourself to change career paths Mm -hmm. is a really big move and gift in itself, as well. Like,
2: I agree, you don't don't have to be stuck. Like, if you're
0: miserable, when I think about my parents, Mm -hmm. they're so stuck in their jobs, yeah, and I. I think that's a very common mentality.
2: Well, think about their generation though. They were yeah. trained that you 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 know, you go to college, you get a job, you stay in that job until you die.
1: Mm-hmm. Like that's a
2: just different mentality than what we grew mm-hmm. up with, which is like the earth is on fire, the ocean is on fire, we're all fucked. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> please like pay attention to your surroundings and try to get like every drop of joy you can from your life. There's a I think there there was a system of like benefits and like payoff and reward. In that generation, that I don't think we have in this generation. I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing like the great retirement is because people are like, "This is this is this is a lie." Like we're being fed a lie. The ocean is on fire. Like we gotta live
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I I feel like I haven't done my part. In being more aware of Earth science. Like, I, it's one of those things I've always, I've known, but I feel like within the last 15 years, I've really become more aware of it. And, and you're going to become impacting. even more aware of yeah. it. Yeah,
2: because unfortunately unfortunately, even if you're not paying attention, the Earth will make you pay attention. And it is. Yeah, it so is. So we're having, like, bomb cyclones and such, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: the ocean literally was on fire yeah the
2: ocean was on fire so don't worry like even if we're not like experts from birth on this we're going to learn and adapt because that's what humans do we learn and adapt so yeah i'm not afraid i'm just aware Yeah. yeah yeah
1: Something you mentioned um, that really stood out to me was your spidey senses and using this sort of like intuition that we talk about in in nursing as well. a Yeah. Our Um, gut. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, the hospital workers and people at the bedside when you kind of have to pick up on sometimes the tiniest cues that can really start to change a patient's um, trajectory. Exactly. Yeah. And so I loved how you brought that up. And in regards to that like one specific patient that you brought up like maybe something else is going on here what else is going on I love that you brought that up because for some reason I think that there's this like misconception in western like typical medicine that we don't want to get to the root cause of problems like the, the functional medicine coming up and the alternative medicine is like
2: answering that question right. and 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 traditional medicine like never cared about right that. and I'm like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like Throw well, a wait a second at
1: it. like I think you know functional medicine and alternative medicine is wonderful and it completely mm-hmm. has its place but in the healthcare enemies. system yeah but they're not enemies and, yeah. and I don't think that that necessarily means that we aren't trying to get to those root causes of problems and that we aren't trying to treat our patients holistically and understand what else is going on that maybe this patient is here. So like, have you experienced that in your practice? Well, I,
2: I would actually just go to, you know, there's two sides. So like being a provider and being a patient. So I'm a provider who is also a patient. And like, I would say that it's something that uh, I'm a mental health patient. So it's something that I frequently have to think about because I need mental health care from people who know more about mental health than I do and can help me in ways that I don't know how to help myself. It is really hard to sometimes get to root causes, I think, because there's a system that's very oppressive, like a 15 minute appointment and like this, like this, like, uh, you know, meeting quota and like all these things. I think the system is oppressive. But do I think that the the providers themselves are like, oh, I don't want to figure out what's really fucking going on? I, I think that's that's bullshit. That's a lie. Um, I think that people go in, a lot of people go into medicine. (laughs) There are a few sociopaths in medicine. It's just (laughs) science. But a lot of people go into medicine because they want to really help. Um, But you just do, I think you do have to fight the system. But at the core of it, I do believe that they do want to help. Um, And I've experienced that. And that's how I've gotten the help that I've needed. Because I've had to search through the system to find providers who fight the system enough to do their job, which is help me and help me be able to be my best version of myself.
0: Yeah. Which begs the question, why is it so difficult to access mental health care? Because it's such a huge base root component of everything that's going on. Like, it manifests. Well, why is it so hard to get, you know,
2: parental leave? There's just obviously there's like a lack of systemic concern or appreciation for well-being. Like general well being in this country. Like, we all know that the first year of life, you hit the most milestones you're ever going to hit in your life. Why is it that parents have to fight in order to, you know, best contribute to that? Just take that same question and apply it to, you know, why is it hard to get mental health care? I think it's seen as like dessert. I think it's seen as like something extra. I don't think it's seen as something that's like core. Um, and I think that goes in back to capitalism. Like, you're just what you produce. And goddamn, if you get off the, if you get off the supply chain, God, you got to take a pill and get back on. But it's never like, oh, be in a good place and stay in that good place and produce out of that good place. It's just periphery and extra. Um, so I think there's a lot of it's not seen as a core need. It's Maslow's like hierarchy of needs. I feel like it's not even in the list in like the capitalist system we live in. But that's bullshit.
0: <laughs> it is. Any you, you you think about all of the different aspects of our world that could totally benefit from people being in a mentally healthy place mm-hmm. yeah productivity would go up happiness would go up yeah happy people don't kill people yeah. El woods <laughs> <laughs> brought it back <laughs> around full circle crime
2: would yes. go <laughs> But why is it so hard to get therapy? Like, I feel like. Why is it so expensive? Why is it so expensive? Like, why is it? You know, I think it's because it's seen as periphery. It's seen as like extra. But I, the way I see it is like, if you are not good, nothing else can be great. Like, if you're not, if you're not okay, like, nothing else can be good. But that's not the way that the system we live in works. They think, well, if you can just duct tape it together and show up and produce, that's good enough for us. And I think that our generation is like really questioning that. And, and there's a huge change coming.
0: I feel that too. And it's something personally I've been really struggling with with my parents because therapy in that generation mm-hmm. is still Non-existent. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, that's great. You should totally do it. But I'm fine. Yeah, of course. I don't need it.
2: Yeah. And we were talking earlier before we started recording about... um kind of how when you get older, you kind of change what you are willing to have around you as far as the people you have around you and what those people are processing as far as their trauma. And I feel like that's like a big thing. I feel like there's like this still this generational gap where it's like, oh, I'm glad you're getting help, but I'm not going to go in and actually address those those traum- those traumas or those issues or try to fix these parts that are broken. And I think that's something that kind of applies to. In in a very big way, I think that it's generational, but it's also trained to the next generation to kind of just shove things aside and think, oh, well, I'm showing up to work. Isn't that good enough? Yeah. I drink all weekend or I have a pill problem, but I'm showing up to work, right? It's really sad. It's really, really sad because it's like these are like you have one human life and like just think of how much beauty and like goodness you can bring in with one life. Like how many people have touched your life? Just small things or big things like just think about how one person can affect your life and how you know just think god if if people have that ability to actually be themselves and to actually heal and be their best selves just think how much more good there would be in the world yet it just not
1: yeah yeah i've always you know lily i've always really admired how you have always been extremely vulnerable and open to the mental health ups and downs that you've experienced. I know that you have probably helped so many people. I know myself, I have been able to relate to you on so many levels when I see your posts or see, you know, when you open up about what you've been through. Would you be willing to kind of share a little bit about your experiences in mental health?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I definitely, I would share this on the rooftops. I would share this with anyone who will listen. So basically um, like most beautiful, talented type A females, I have experienced trauma. And in college, it kind of peaked and I started to al- experience a lot of suicidal ideation. Um, and it didn't make any sense. I, you know, have wonderful family, wonderful friends. I was like at the top of my class. You know, I graduated Valedictorian. It made no sense. Like everything was perfect. It was like, check, 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 check. And yet I felt this sense of like, feeling like I had walked into a room that wasn't my home. Like living was like something that I shouldn't be doing. It felt wrong to continue to exist. And I was experiencing suicidal ideation throughout like college. And and it actually did reach a peak. And I had a suicide attempt in college um, that I'm very grateful to have survived. Um, And after that, I kind of realized, I was like, I've never talked to somebody about some of the things that I'm feeling or what I what I think when I look into, in the mirror, or, you know, what, how people say I am versus how I feel I am. I've never, I've never spoken about that gap. And I started to see a therapist. Um, a couple of years later, I, I got through the, the next couple of years were rocky, but I got through and I'll never forget one night in in PA school, I was literally at the top of my class. Like I was like 60 in like all of my classes. Like my classmates came to me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was the one they looked up to for like making sure they got the answers, making sure they knew that they were okay. Um, and I took a lot of pride in that. I worked really hard to be in that position. Um, and I had like everything, just friends, family, everything checked out. And I remember coming home from classes one night and sitting on the floor in my living room And looking out the window, and there is this view of the Washington Monument. I I went to school in D.C. I could see the Washington Monument and the light blinking. And you could just see all the lights. And it was beautiful. And I remember just thinking, like, I want to die tonight. Like, I don't want to continue to exist. Like, I don't want to see this weekend. I don't want to keep breathing. Like, I want to die. And I remember having this, like, very honest moment with myself that, like, what I chose to do next was, like, that was the decision I would make. And I remember deciding to call somebody and tell them. And I remember calling somebody and saying, hey, uh, I need to listen to me. I'm obviously not okay. Like, I want to kill myself um, and I want to do it tonight. And that person spoke to to me and talked me down, basically. And the next day I walked right into a mental health facility that was nearby. And I told them, I was like, listen, everything looks great. And if you took a look at my life, everything looks fantastic. But. I want to kill myself, and I need help, and I I don't know how to help myself, and I started doing therapy, Um, so I started seeing a therapist, and it was really slow going in the beginning, most of the time, I couldn't even really talk with her, Um, she would ask questions, and I would be like, I don't have an answer, and she'd be like, okay, go home and journal, and then next time, come and, and tell me what you find, but during that process of therapy, I started to heal, and it was... Uh, Like a hugely, like I don't think I would be here today without that. So when I came to California, um, when I was after grad school, I moved by myself to California with like four suitcases. I had like literally four hundred (laughs) dollars. Wow. Yeah, I like knew nobody. I didn't have like a job, a car. Like I didn't have anything, and I was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like there's a story here. I have to. I have to go to California. I have to go to LA. And I remember getting off the plane I and mean, being like, I have to I have to take care of myself because this is going to be so hard that I have to prioritize taking care of myself or, or I could go back to that really, really dark place. So I made it a priority to find a therapist right away. Um, and when I was in therapy, when I was working, I realized that PAs, especially people in medicine, didn't talk about their own personal mental health journeys. I never saw like uh, PAs in my everyday life who were talking about mental health. Um, And then I saw one or two on Instagram, actually, there's this one uh, PA, her name is Karen. And she shared this post about a suicide ideation, a suicide attempt that she had um, as a successful PA. And I wrote her crying one day and I was like, you're changing my life. Like, I'm going to start talking. So I started this thing where it's just called My Project Stigma. It's like just a little thing. You know, I don't have a big social media following. I'm not like, you know, Selena Gomez. I'm just a normal person. But it's just something I do where after I have my weekly therapy session, I can go online and just do a little IGTV video or like a um, stories saying like, I just did therapy. I'm a, you know, a provider, but I'm also a patient and I need help. So I go to somebody who helps me be my best self. And it just destigmatizes the process of seeing somebody for mental health care, of receiving mental health care. And through that, my project stigma, you know, I've been able to help so many people find access to therapy um, because I have resources helping people connect to a therapist. And then also just like destigmatizing the process of looking great and wait, (laughs) also being mentally ill. And having to like care about that, just like brushing your teeth or, you know, washing your hair, you have to go to therapy. It's like part of like mental hygiene is a a good way to describe it. So I I just don't think the process should be stigmatized. And I think that it should just be made very much more accessible to people. And and that's one of the big barriers. So, yeah, I, I have no shame about my journey. But it's still a journey and I'm trying to just be open about it because I think that if I'm struggling, I can help other people who might be struggling
0: too. Thank you so much for being so candid and vulnerable. I love that you called it mental hygiene. Mm. Because isn't that it though? It is. Yeah. It's just as important as brushing your teeth and making sure your hair is clean. Yeah. Are you your best self? Are you being your best? Yeah.
2: It's really important. This is like our one life. Like if I wasn't in therapy, I don't think I would have dealt with so many issues of trauma. Like I just wouldn't be the person I am today. And I think I would still be loved and I would still have a meaningful life, but I think I would have limits that I didn't have to have. And going to somebody who helps me think logically and more broad, it opens my life up and it helps me experience more than what I could on just my own. So I, I consider it just like a normal thing that shouldn't be stigmatized, but it still is like, I still kind of feel like I'm talking about something like kind of like racy when I say like, I'm a patient, a provider who's a patient, like, I'm like, oh my God, that's like sexy. Like that's racy. Like, no, it's not like that's normal. Like we're
1: human. Right. It should be normalized that healthcare workers also need help. We are not all just, um. Heroes work here. Exactly. And especially, I think, you know, obviously the pandemic has shed a very different new light on the struggles of mental health, uh, the mental health struggles of healthcare professionals. But I think, you know, especially, you know, Danielle and I are both in therapy as well. So like we understand as well. And I think we've been talking a lot about the generations and I think luckily our generation is much more open to therapy and talking about therapy, but at least something that I've experienced and I know Danielle has, I'm sure you have as well is therapy is just one part of the toolbox. Absolutely. what is happening for your mental health so what are some other things that you have turned to to support yourself i would say like really opening up the lessons that i'm learning in therapy into my life
2: so therapy can't just be like an isolated thing in 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 your life like it's not just like oh every tuesday or for me it's like self care thursday i have my therapy on thursday it's not just this isolated thing are you actually bringing those lessons into your into your life are you actually telling people you love hey guys this is a boundary i'm learning about boundaries So this is a boundary that I have and I need it to be kept. And if you have any questions, I can answer them. Are you actually bringing the lessons that you're learning about into your everyday life? That's one of the biggest things is like, don't keep therapy in a box. Like bring it into your life, make it tangible, make make the things you're learning really real. Um, Another thing is like, I would say boundaries and prioritizing self-care. That's like a big one, like not allowing other people to set the pace of your life. And, like, having those
1: boundaries, I don't know what what do you think, Jackie? Like, what are your? I agree. I think something that you mentioned earlier was about boundaries with relationships and with people that are maybe are, are not willing to look at their own traumas, yes. yeah, and having to put boundaries around relationships. I think that that's a, you know, there's this, of course, it's like, unfortunate you know thing now with self-care even like oh self-care <laughs> it's, so it's white like, girl. it's so it's, i know so, yeah. like self-care yeah. is a green juice and a bubble bath yeah. when i think really self-care is making hard decisions yes. about boundaries with people and your time and yeah. your and job and what's important
2: to you yeah and then sticking
1: to that yeah
2: yeah so I, I definitely agree with that. But I, I think that the the biggest thing is actually taking what you're learning in life and in therapy and bringing it into your life and actually and not and not separating the two because you can waste time in therapy. Therapy is not a magic pill. You have to be 100 percent involved um, in order for it to work.
0: Something that I wanted to bring up to um, and you you touched on a little bit with especially coming out and learning to live with this pandemic healthcare workers specifically face depending i guess on what unit you work on and and not really it's it i mean any unit that you work on you can have trauma from yeah. but healthcare workers are in the constant face of trauma we see people dying we see people extremely sick we see people being abused We yeah, see, yeah.
1: you know kids being hurt yeah even kids with what said I, I, you don't even you necessarily need it. to be in an icu seeing people you dying can just even to be hear traumatized about or, be, or secondary exactly.
2: close to it like right. have friends who are close or be in the same space where these things are happening right. for it to affect you
0: yeah yeah and i mean there's employee health services which is great i've utilized them before too but I just feel like there could be so much more done in the work environment, unit-specific work and resources being offered because I think healthcare professionals specifically, we're the ones, we're taught, we're the ones who are supposed to be providing the help. And that's why I love so much that you are so open and vulnerable with your provider and a patient. Like we can, we can be both. Yeah, we are. Oftentimes we are. We are both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just think the number one thing holding it back is people are afraid. People are really afraid. Oh, is this going to affect my license? Is this going to affect the way that my coworkers think about me? Is this going to mean that I'm not going to get that promotion? And I just say like, just bullshit. Is your life going to be happier? Mm -hmm. Like, God, you're always going to have a fucking job. (laughs) Are you going to be happier? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that's the answer. But it shouldn't be that you have to suffer. And it is that you have to suffer. There is a huge stigma. And anyone who says less is lying. Um, so it's a very, very thing for me to be um, a PA and to be open about the fact that I have a mental illness that I receive treatment that is very brave. I have received feedback. I have, you know, people in the medical field, I had one individual who was like, how do you think that you can be a good PA if you if you are like mentally ill?
0: Like, oh my God. because yeah. I'm on both sides, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker. <was> like, well, <laughs> it's a really
1: complicated thing, but God damn it. I find a way. Right? I would like not even, I mean, I, I would argue that it's, that it makes you a better provider. I would actually argue yeah. that too. But
2: in that case, there was, there was such a block. There was such a, like a stigma. There was such a shield that that individual could not understand. But that's what I'm saying, that there has, we have to be honest about the fact that there is, there is a reason why healthcare workers can be like can just not share their trauma. Um, you know, that physician suicide rates are so high that, you know, there's so much PTSD and so much trauma related to this pandemic that people are going to be unpacking for years. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is just people being honest about the fact that there is a reason why people don't talk about it. And once you say that it loses a lot of its power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen a provider that, um, I've seen in primary care settings that will if he's having a hard conversation with someone about their mental health and is, you know, interested in kind of moving that conversation to pharmacotherapy mm-hmm. and medication. Yeah. You will tell them straight up like I'm on Loft. Exactly. I'm on this. Like I find it so here helpful here too. I am. Like I'm a look yeah. at me, I'm your doctor and I'm on this, yeah. you know. I do I argue that I think it it opens that conversation for patients, it yes. destigmatizes and it ultimately and I'm not trying to say that everyone needs to go on an SSRI. Like that's not <laughs> the point of this. But I think that there is such power in in being vulnerable and sharing that.
2: So I actually I count a lot of my own bravery back to my pediatrician Uh, when I I was a young kid when I first started to display some signs of mental illness. And I remember the first time I told somebody I wanted to kill myself, because I've always struggled with suicidal ideations, like since I was like a little kid, which doesn't make any sense, but it's just a fact. Okay. And like, I remember the first time I told my mom, I was like, I want to die. I don't want to kill myself, but I want to die. And I'm, I'm really confused right now. And I was a little kid. So she, she didn't know what to do. So she took me to the pediatrician. And I remember this pediatrician had this moment. He asked my mother if he could speak to me separately. So he treated me like, you know, someone who could handle what we were going to talk about. And then he just said, I remember him sitting down, I remember him saying, when I was your age, I felt the same way. When I was admitted to medical school, he's like, everyone was so proud of me. Everyone thought that I was like, you know, just the best. And there was everything going for me. He was like, I felt the same way you feel now. And he's like, I had to go on medications and I'm still on medications. And look where I am today. He's like, you're going to make it. And I remember that conversation. I remember that doctor. I think about him all the time. And he, like, he shaped my life with that five minute conversation, he changed the way that I saw what was possible, you know, to be in medicine, to be broken and to be healing. We're still in touch. He like, he he wrote one of my letters for PA school. He, I updated him every milestone. Like he's my pediatrician for life. (laughs) I'm 28, but (laughs) that's just how it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he just broke through that. And I just, I want there to be just that breaking through of that initial wall and just call bullshit. Anyone who says, Oh no, everyone nowadays thinks therapy is okay. No, in healthcare, it's still fucking stigmatized. In healthcare. It's really, really, really vulnerable. People are scared to death. To say, God, I'm on something or I'm seeing somebody or I have to talk to somebody every week or I want to kill myself. Like that is a really scary thing to say. And until you admit that we're not going to make any progress. And until more people are sharing openly I don't think that there's going to be real change. So even if just me with my like 2,000 followers say <laughs> like, hey, guys, I just said therapy. Like, <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. Yeah. So and I, I really hope that other people start doing it, too, because that's what I want. It, it, I recently had one person start coughing um, and it just made my <laughs> made my freaking day like every single time she'd be like hey guys so I saw <gasps> this project and I just wanted to say I just did therapy and I see a therapist we learned one thing in therapy I'm just going to share it really quickly you can listen if you want and she kept going and I was like wow. what the fuck like this is amazing the yeah. ultimate compliment <laughs> yeah <laughs> invitation <laughs> that's what I want it's amazing. not just about me I'm gonna die one day I want I want things to actually change and happen you know
1: We've been talking a lot about this concept of being patient and also provider. Mm -hmm. And I think it opens up a bigger conversation of we're not even just those two things. Yeah. We're not just patient and provider. Mm -hmm. We are so many different things. We contain multitudes.
2: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I'm not afraid of it. I think that in medicine, I consider myself like a creative in medicine and as a creative like you learn to just like kind of make something from nothing or take some things that aren't, that are there, but they're not in their final form and create something. So I'm a photographer. I've like worked all over the world, actually. I've like done engagements and weddings in like Positano, Italy, Bogota, Colombia, Miami, Manhattan. Like I've worked all over the US and different parts in the world. And something that is really cool about being a creative is like you create. You make things that were not there happen. You make things that people didn't see become a thing. And I think that messy process of creation, that really blends over really well to thinking about like just being a human and, and just being somebody who's trying to create a life really well as a patient, as a provider, as just a human. You have to have that element of creativity and taking things that maybe aren't in their final form and being adamant about making something beautiful with them. Um, like regardless and no matter what. And one of the things you have to do is you just have to show up. You can't expect there to be something at the end unless you're in the game. So yeah, that's that's for sure something that is like a lesson that I would share is just be willing to show up to the mess and say, hey, this is a mess and we got to make something from it
1: yeah yeah. being um, I think creative too it's like especially lately like there's definitely an element of catharsis to feel into that but there's also an element of, of lightness of after creating something and, and being proud of something and saying hey like there was nothing here and now I created this thing it's, it's like so, so such a beautiful it's so wonderful. Um, process and it, you sometimes know it, that yeah. you know that and sometimes you know it, that? sometimes it like, looks like shit sometimes yes. you're like you know what this is shit but like whatever. you made it. Like, <laughs> yeah. here God it is, is. <laughs> and I think like it, it also like makes me think that healthcare in general, I think is often described as not creative, that it's so um, you know, medicalized, institutionalized. Or, yeah, whatever which it, it is in certain it. aspects Systemic. for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Absolutely, it has to be in some in some aspects of healthcare for sure. But there is absolutely a creative side to medicine, like especially from a provider perspective. Yeah. If you and are, the way you
2: can reach the patient. Right. Oh, it's so creative. You have that magic time. You're on stage when you go in, and you have that patient patient encounter. Who gets to do that? People Engineers changed their entire trajectory of their career because they had a patient encounter and they were like, I want to do that for somebody. Like, I want to show up and I want to have that moment on stage with that person where I can touch them and change the trajectory of their life, just like my pediatrician changed the trajectory of my life with that short conversation. People want that. And that's, that's very creative. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful, creative, human, beautiful thing to be able to do. And you have
1: photography or is there what else brings you light?
2: I would say I'm still like figuring it out. I moved here to California not to be a PA. (laughs) Like I didn't like move across the country and be like, I could get a job anywhere. That's what PAs are. But it's there is a story centric vibe here. Um, I'm also licensed in New York. So I took interviews there, but I just felt the energy here. And I was like, I want to I want my life to be filled with stories and I want to tell stories. I'm still figuring out exactly how. But I just know I want to fucking tell a story. And I want the stories that I tell to be reasons why people stay. And because that's that's how I'm here. And yeah, California was the place to do it. I just do it. So it's been a wonderful
0: experience. I really recommend Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Every interview we're doing in L.A. this comes up. (laughs) I know. Everyone always asks, "When are you moving to LA?" It's and, um,
2: wonderful. I, I, you know, there are definitely its downsides, but uh, they say that people here, you know, are always looking for something or trying to figure out how they can use you to get to the next step. But I have a really good response to that because I went to school in DC where everyone was trying to be the next president. So mm. it's like here, everyone wants to be the next housewife. There, like everyone wanted to be like the president. It's like a different thing, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> it's not so different different bad. Sure. What are you <laughs> saying? Vibe? Like, let them realize they can't get anything from me. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. There
0: are genuine people. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I mean, uh... There's that vibe anywhere. Yeah. There's that vibe in Nashville too. Exactly. A lot of people are like, oh, what connections do you yeah. have? How can, and you know, if you need something, they yeah. don't always fall back with that. I think that's, I think you find that anywhere.
2: Anywhere. And I'm not, it's, you don't have to be afraid of it. It doesn't have to be something yeah. that you like make your decisions of where you want to build a life off of. I definitely yeah. don't.
0: You set that way. boundary. Yeah. You set that
2: boundary and then you just live your life. And, and then your you're unflick
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this could be such a help. I mean, it's such an impactful episode and such an impactful conversation. If you had one piece of advice for someone that's listening that is struggling with their mental health, that maybe you know doesn't want to, is scared to take a first step or scared to go to therapy, like what's the first thing that you would recommend people do?
2: Say it out loud to yourself. Say it out loud to yourself. I may cry when I say this, but um, like the the worst. Enemy, you have sometimes is yourself. And you have to say, Hey, I'm not happy. And you can't just think it. You have to say it to yourself. You have to admit it out loud. And you have to say, Hey, like, I wish that I could let people close to me. I wish that I could, you know, one day have children. Or I wish I could, you know, not be so traumatized that I have this reaction all the time. You have to first admit to yourself and not just like think it. You have to literally. Tell yourself, God, I I want something to change. And I think that that is really powerful. And that I I believe in manifestation. It it was like, I believe it as an absolute powerful thing that there's like energy and that the universe is trying to heal you. And I think that when you say, I'm hurting, I'm not okay, that you are opening up an entire world where you can be healed. And I think that first step is like the hardest step. And even if you don't tell anybody, if you can go to a mirror and tell yourself that you are opening up like a portal to an entirely different life where you're not limited by your trauma or limited by what has happened to you um, or what's broken in your brain. And you're able to actually be your full self and heal.
0: So basically just said. What actually happened to me? Oh, really? After Nick had passed away, I was in a really dark place. I didn't necessarily want to die, but I was like void of joy. I had told myself, I'm just going to exist until I see this person again. And I remember the day that that changed for me. Because I woke up and I don't know. I don't know whose voice it was. Maybe it was my own voice, but I remember looking in the mirror and this voice was like, your story is going to help people. You still want to be a mother. You want to find, you want to be in love. You want to get married. These are all joys that you want and they don't have to not happen. And that was the day that I called my doctor and I was like, I need help right now because I'm not okay. And that was the day that I got on antidepressants. Um, I was really struggling with the grief counselor they gave me. He was just spouting <laughs> off Kubler-Ross and I was like, man, fuck you. This is not <laughs> happening. It's not well, helping. You like, kept fighting though. You kept him. Yeah, yeah.
2: And look at you now yeah look at how many look at how many lives have been brought light because you said that to yourself first and you said you let the universe in and you let that healing start like look at like how many lives have been brought joy in life and like I'm so fucking glad that you're in my life like I don't have (laughs) I just and I you know and I I, I'm not even one of the people who's closest to you can imagine how The people who are closest to you, how grateful they are that you fought and that you said that to yourself because you're still here and you're still, you're bringing that, your light. And that's really powerful. Like, I'm just, that's exactly it.
0: It is. That's exactly it. Yeah.
2: That's exactly it. And I I do have a question. What do you think was the thing that made you brave enough to go from saying that to asking for help?
1: Um,
2: You picked up a phone. How did you do that? Because it took me years.
0: I don't, I don't know if it just sounds cheesy or not. Like, I've always known that I wanted to be a mother. Like, I love, like, I mean, it's a little codependent. Like, <laughs> I like caring for people. But I always knew that I was supposed to do that. Yeah.
2: No, I, I get what you're saying. So there there are things that you needed that your soul knew that you needed to be yeah. ready to be able to do. Yeah. That you couldn't do in that position. So it was like the, you needed to... Get over this hurdle.
0: And I think I. Whatever voice is like. People are going to. You're going to. Lives are going to be changed. Because you're going to be okay. You're going to. Pursue this. And I don't know if it. If in that moment. I just needed to. Play into that side. Mm -hmm. Of me that was like. I still. Have things here to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to be able to do that. Yeah.
2: I think you're hitting something because I'm thinking about when I went from not just saying it to actually walking into a mental health care facility and like going to the front desk and being like, I need help. I'm thinking about how when I woke up, I remember thinking, I think that I think that I'm here for a reason because I didn't die. And I think that there's something I'm supposed to do. And I, I maybe I didn't know exactly what it was. But that sense of obligation, and that duty, that feeling that I had to become something I currently was not in order to do the things that I was supposed to do. I think that was a really big, like propellant for me, like making a move. So maybe something that would be helpful for people after they take that first step is writing down the things that they really fucking want, that they want to be here to see, like, there's just so much that I want to see, there's so much I want to experience. And like, in order to do that, I can't die. <laughs> I yeah. have to fucking stay
0: alive. I can't just exist.
2: Yeah. So I need to figure out how to fill in that space and like become because God, I, I can't reach those things without going through that journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, you. your purpose, like coming back to a sense of purpose. And that doesn't have to necessarily mean, you know, job, exactly what or, it is or money yeah. or, or you whatever. know exactly what it right. is. It's um, yeah. it's what can kind of get you up out of bed yeah, in the morning. And, you know, I thank you both for being so honest and vulnerable. And I know I can relate deeply to both of your um, stories. And I, I know anyone listening can on a level relate to this. And it makes me wonder, you know, you both have been through so much and so much trauma and you've healed in certain ways. And, you know, in that relation, it, it makes me wonder at what point also in in this journey of mental health healing that when you go through, right, it's like, you're never cured. You're never going to be cured from your trauma or from what you've been through. And it's a lot of ups and downs. And I think part of that healing is in the downs. Now it's like, is there a certain level of comfort of knowing that like, I'm just going to be in this for a little bit and it's going to be okay. But almost just like it, not embracing, but like accepting the, the the sadness and the waves that 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 will come, and that you just kind of have to ride it.
0: I've, you're not the first person to ask me this question, and I never have the right answer to it. I feel like because everyone's like, how do you get through it? How do you do it? Like, how do you? How are you who you are now? And the answer, I guess, for me is that it's gotten less but it's still there there it's like a shadow like a little like a ghost or something that follows me like i i talk to nick you know if i'm really going through something um i talk to him i yell at him um i him the fuck off
2: beautiful i'm so supportive of this relationship
0: and yeah i just i don't know if that's like the best answer for it but and there'll be times where you're like, fuck, I'm in it today. And and it might manifest in different parts of your life. You're like, why am I so anxious today? Why am I so emotional today? What is going on? And then you have, you do, you have to sit with it. And at least for me, like I, I, I break it down. I'm like, where's this coming from? Where am I feeling it? What is it stemming from? What is this
1: like triggering?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's like the number one thing is like, I feel like that's a a uh, an overall lesson that I have been taught in my 28 years, which are just 28. God, I, I can't wait to see what I, you know, learn next, but is you have to realize you're in the box. You have to realize you're in the box before you can be free. And something I think a lot about when I think about, you know, dealing with the fact that there's always mental illness there, or there's always grief there, or there's always pain there. Is I think I'm an ocean girl. I grew up in the... In the ocean state, Rhode Island, and then I moved out to, you know, Pacific, Atlantic to Pacific. And everything in life always relates back to water. And I, I think a lot about some different experiences with water I've had. Uh, when I was a child, I was caught in a rip, uh, a riptide, which is really scary, really dangerous, um, dragged along the ocean floor. I remember, you know, the water entering my lungs. I remember seeing my my eyes were open. I remember going black, Um, And I remember feeling someone's hand grab me by the shoulder and pull me out of the tide. And I think about how that's you, you know, saying I'm not okay. That's like the first step. And then I think about how you have to learn how to swim with the tide instead of swimming against it. And you have to get to shore and you have to learn all these lessons. And that can happen with people, maybe with a therapist or with a supportive, you know, group of people. There's always the fucking ocean floor though. You can always touch the floor. It's always there. Even when you're surfing or even when you're swimming, you can go down and you can touch that grief and that pain or that mental illness. It's always there. And it's like, it's just like the ocean. You just learn how to swim better. You learn like how to navigate it better, uh, but you never cancel it out. And I feel like just part of the healing process is just saying, this is always going to be here and I'm not going to be afraid of it. And I'm not going to say that it's not a thing.
1: That was so beautiful. Well, thank you. You both are just... um. <laughs> I'm blown away. I know I know so many people are going to relate to this conversation and it's going to help. I, I hope it helps people that maybe have been struggling through this pandemic um, in these past two years to yes. maybe take that first step and to admit that maybe they're not okay because this has been such a clusterfuck of a time. And if <laughs> if you're not struggling right now, then share your secrets.
2: Yeah. Share them to yourself first and realize that you are strong enough to face your darkest fears. And there's a part of you that's a warrior that's like built to built to survive no no matter fucking what and you can handle it. Not only can you handle it, you can win. It's
0: so, a basic instinct,
2: yeah. It's a hella basic instinct, but we, we got to get past the fear.
0: I love that I just learned that you are a comedian. <laughs> I did not know this was.
2: <laughs> but I have dreams of bombing in front of like massive groups of people. Yes, having a captive audience. Yes,
0: <laughs> um, and I'm curious. Do your jokes center around, around your trauma? Yes,
2: they do. They really do. They they start out good. You know, they mm-hmm. start out good, but then they get, they get dark. Like yeah. there's this one joke about how I would make such a great pharaoh because I really love watching people work. And not just people work. I love watching men work. Like I'm distracted by it. Like I'll be like walking down the <laughs> road and I'll see like a man working and I'll be like, can I pull over? Like it's not even like, it's not a sexual thing. It's literally just like, Look at him working. (laughs) It just always fascinated me, and like I don't know, it just feels right. It just, it just, it just feels right. And I've always, I've connected that back to some trauma where, like, I was like in uh, grad school. I I lived in a development in DC that was there was a development right across the street, and. I used to watch the workers in between studying like I would look out and I would see this one guy would come in at 730 in the morning and his whole day would be putting these like ledges together in this one thing. And he, that was all he did. And then he would check out at four, five, go home. And I thought, God, that's that's life. That's that's how it is. And um, and it was calming and therapeutic and interesting to see, like, God, that's life. Uh, but more than that, you know, there was an element of trauma you know one day i came into my my living room where i studied and i saw a sign directly across from me in the in the room directly across with a worker who had been like staring at me um, <laughs> I was watching him, I guess. Um, And he was like, sent nudes and he was like, he sent his number. And like, I realized later on that my windows could be, he could see through my windows and he could see me changing. And, and I didn't know that. And there was trauma associated with the idea that like, I have to constantly watch men, that there's something very calming about seeing men work because it's a time when I don't feel like I'm being preyed uh, on or I don't feel like I'm being sought. I, I I feel like I am safe for a minute just seeing somebody else, some, another man work. So I would definitely say there's elements of trauma <laughs> with the things I find funny. But, yeah, <laughs> I don't. It's all it's all part of life. <laughs> yeah, it's all part of life. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there is just an element of um being able to laugh at your experiences that is very healing um so yeah i always try to find that that little that little space to just laugh and be like why is it that i want to get a sandwich and sit and watch this man lay these bricks
1: It's not sexual. Tell me I'm it's, alone. I'm it's not it's alone. the. It's you know, I've thought about it, but like next time I see a man working, I'm just gonna pull over and and watch. It's so calming. I don't.
0: Um, is it? Is it the act of labor or is the act
2: of labor? The focus, or like the but also repetition of the repetition of what he's of it, doing. But also, I think it's just like the the safety of it. Like when they're yeah. working, you're not being when there's like a separation in the like in a you know what. And I just I'm not in and I'm not in harm, like I'm watching someone else do something, and it's I'm not being watched or I'm not being I'm not right. Yeah. I think the
1: the the key to that is that they can't know that you're watching.
2: Yeah, I'm just or I'm I don't, the observer. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm not the observer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. So instead of you being. The object. Yeah, yeah. Instead, instead of me being the object. I, I don't know. I just, I noticed throughout life that there are these moments of things. And I'm like, I'm really drawn to this. And I think that there's trauma, but it's also kind of very funny. Well, yeah, <laughs> they say the
1: best comedians have boatloads of trauma. Goddamn so, Jerry so, yeah. Seinfeld. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I feel like you've been such an open book. I mean, I... I've gotten so many, I've, I feel like I've gotten so much more insight into what makes Lily, Lily. Um, I have one more. Yeah. Oh, okay. Danielle
1: and I also love to manifest. Mm-hmm. We really truly do believe it as well. Okay. Very good. Yeah. So I'm what really is bad on it. your manifestation <laughs> list right now? Honestly. We can say it here on the podcast and just kind of put it out to the universe. Yeah.
2: Honestly, passive income. Like I really want to own properties or just like I-, I really don't like my medical work being the source of my income. I I feel like it's it's a very tenuous and dangerous field. Just it's burnout. And you literally are creating with your mind. <laughs> and I think something I'm manifesting is like passive income. Mm-hmm. I-, I know that's very practical. But it's true. Another thing that I'm manifesting is a um so I'm like a hoe when it comes to work like I am like I just like I go where they pay me the most where the benefits <laughs> are the best like I'm like I have no loyalty okay this is just a fact like I'm just like but when it comes to relationships I'm like a completely like steady gal like I'm looking for like that secure partner who's like yeah. long term you know who's willing to build and, and like have that story and yeah I think that's another thing just manifesting like a secure partner who's not afraid of building yeah. What does your manifestation practice look like? Honestly, saying it a lot of, yeah. to myself, saying it. And another thing is telling my friends mm. or telling people like in the Ubers that yeah. I go on. I'm just like, I'm looking for a secure partner. <laughs> We like, <laughs> don't need to do anything with this. I just need you to know that just being I'm looking for about a secure it. partner. Like, just being, like not afraid to tell the universe. Like I think that I think that just saying stuff is really powerful. Another thing I do is I do vision boards. Mm-hmm. So I print out. I get like the the um, cardboard, mm-hmm. you know, things from FedEx or whatever, and then I print out like pictures of like, things I want, and then I put those pictures up in places that I see. Um, And some of them are material, but a lot of them are immaterial because, you know, there's always going to be the next iPhone and the next Tesla or something like that. But I'm really interested in like long term relationship and like long term meaning and stories and like looking back on my deathbed and being like, God, she really fucking lived like that's that's kind of my ultimate manifestation. (laughs) So Yeah, I would definitely say that those are two things like saying it out loud and then like using vision boards. Um, and telling your friends, just telling your friends, yeah, being like this is something I want. So, so just so you know, Jackie and Danielle, I, I really want passive income, and I
0: think I want it through rental properties. <laughs> Perfect.
2: Okay. I
0: also want a secure relationship. <gasps>
2: oh my God, and that too. I'm so sorry. How did I forget? <laughs>
1: Well, anyone listening in, you can help these manifestations come true. Yes. You can reach Lily at. We'll uh, put it in the show notes. You know where to find Danielle. Exactly. Um, I've already came up with the idea of having, or did you come up with the idea? I'm not taking. I don't want to take the. You came up with the idea. I, I well, had a I joke. It was a joke. The WOMED bachelorette. Oh my god! Where it needs people to could submit their suitors to moi, oh, and yes. I would sift through the good yes. ones, and we would. um find Danielle's secure partner this way. So
2: <laughs> that, it, that's Coming not back. a bad idea.
1: That's not a bad right, idea. Only you have to be active Only in if your manifestation you're the bachelorette are not bisexual, right?
0: No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, just, be, just be, just <laughs> be, you want to be the bachelorette with me? I will. <laughs> I will. I'm in. Perfect. <gasps> mm-hmm. No, I'm not bisexual. I really just, it's okay. It happens.
2: It's like what I call an old school soul.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay i get it i get it i get it we're not as
1: evolved i know
0: it's just classic yeah look at that i appreciate yeah i haven't seen one in so long i appreciate (laughs) femininity and that beauty yeah sexually i'm only attracted to men well that's really Mm -hmm. nice yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but i love women i'd like fucking love women like yeah. men, women are my community yeah
2: yeah i definitely think that like when i look at my relationships i am so given power by my female relationships in ways that i don't even i'm not even expecting all of that sometimes from a romantic relationship mm-hmm. yeah fascinating stuff
1: well you were the perfect guest to bring on the <laughs> really? womad
0: Oh God, Lily, I love you.
1: Really? Yeah. I really
0: do. Yeah.
1: I'm so messy. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. Black, we all are. Uh, we're all we're <laughs> yeah. all messy. Life is messy. Yeah. It's if if you're not, you're just putting on a real, real yeah. strong mask. Well,
2: I really appreciate I feel like when I when you guys asked me to come on and then I said yes, I feel like I was the thing that I kept thinking about was
0: You thought I, it was last month?
2: Hmm. firstly I, there was mercury in retrograde so i was like Gittering. it was did, yeah where is like where do i have to show up and, like,
0: <laughs> and i'm like, like it's next, month. next month
2: <laughs> yeah so that happened but i thought god this is a place with two women who are very real and they really see women um in like a particular way which is very healing where they're allowed to be messy and broken and still extraordinary and that's just so powerful because i don't know about you but like the best heroes, the best superheroes are like the ones with the vices, the ones with like the, the you know, the Achilles heel and, and the things that make them broken and human. Those are actually my favorite characters. So goddamn, having a show that you talk to people who are embracing both their broken parts and the parts they're healing, that's really
1: powerful. And I'm really honored to be here. So just so you know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lily. It was I'm so glad that we were able to do this interview in person as well. Yes, it has just been such a i'm going to steal your word, a gift to have you here. so
2: thank you. thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: We are so grateful for Lily for being so open and vulnerable with us on this episode. If anyone listening, if this episode really resonates with you, if you are struggling, if you are thinking of hurting yourself, please, please pick up the phone and make a call.
1: Yes, I, I hope that this was a reminder that, you know, you are not alone. If you have ever experienced feelings um, of suicidal ideation, of depression, anxiety, mental illness is very real and it's very real in the healthcare community In If you ever need the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, you can reach it at 1 800 273 8255, which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And just know that you are not alone. Make sure you follow along with Lily on Instagram. She shares all about more about her mental illness, my project Stigma, and her beautiful photographs. You can find her at Lillian Hathaway, which is L I L L I A N. H-A-T-H-A-W-A-Y. Lillian Hathaway.